And as soon as you find Matthew 21, we'll also be reading out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. And so you'll want to go ahead and find that chapter as well. Matthew 21, I'm going to begin reading in just a moment with verse 6, and then Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, and it looks like we'll be reading verse 6 starting there as well. This is Palm Sunday, it is the Sunday we celebrate what is called the triumphal entry, of Jesus into Jerusalem, it initiates or it begins what we call Passion Week. Passion Week is that week that he begins to instruct and teach in Jerusalem until finally it's culminated with the crucifixion and the cross, and then three days later, obviously, the resurrection from the dead. And so next Sunday, we'll be celebrating that resurrection, but we want to spend a little time at least talking about some features of the triumphal entry and how the week got started. And so if you found Matthew's Gospel 21, verse 6, I want to read to you, and I've entitled the lesson this morning, Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Let's read Matthew 21, verse 6. It says, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. He had just mentioned to the disciples that he needed some transportation. And so they went and got him a a new colt, a donkey, and uh, brought that transportation to him as he's preparing to go through the gates of Jerusalem. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude, everyone say very great. I mean, there was a crowd that showed up. And they spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, and I've underlined this passage in my Bible, it may be of interest to you. It says, all the city. Didn't say some of the city, does it? Doesn't say much of the city. It says all the city was moved saying, who is this? Turn over to Mark's gospel. I want to read to you as well a little bit later in the week. Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 6. That's how the week began for Jesus. Not a bad start. Amen. I mean, if you wanted to start off coming into a city and have a very great multitude, throngs, giving the declaration of a king to you, I mean, I can think of no better way to come into a city. But the wind changed through the week. And here in Mark 15, beginning with verse 6, we begin to see what happened as we get towards the end of this same week. It says, now at the feast... He, meaning uh, Pilate, was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they, meaning the crowd, requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude crying aloud again. It's amazing. They were crying one time, Hosanna, son of David. Here they are crying again began to ask him or Pilate to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. 
But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Now, the events that took place with regards to the scourging and the crucifixion is so so incredibly etched in our minds if you've ever been through Encounter Weekend. We spend a lot of times through the Encounter Weekend making sure the folks that come understand exactly what Jesus did for all of us with regards to paying the price, carrying the debt, uh, beginning to be that sacrifice that he was to be in order that you and I might be reconciled with God. And so we could spend much time etching one more time into your psyche the events of the scourging and the crucifixion. But I want to back up just a little bit and I want to talk a little bit in general about what took place that last week of Jesus' life, that Passion Week, we call it. There were some things that transpired that I think is really important and really relevant to most of us here today. I don't know if you spend much time watching the news. I'm kind of a news junkie. I've mentioned that before. I have been cutting back. But uh, nonetheless, after our last election, which didn't seem that long ago, we're beginning to see everyone throw their hat in the ring with regards to the next election that will be taking place next year in 2008. And so whenever election season rolls around, it's interesting to me how automatically they begin to pull out the polling. And they'll take polls for everything. I always wonder who they poll. I have, has anybody here ever been polled? I have never been polled for anything. So I don't know who they call. Maybe somebody gets called and I'm just not on the right list. Although it is interesting, I always get called for jury duty. I don't know how that, why it works that way. But, but nonetheless, I've never been called to be polled. But nonetheless, they, they, they say, uh, ask these questions. They say several things. They begin to get responses and so we're going to begin to see over and over again the statistical information with regards to how certain candidates are doing how the president's doing how people feel about the war and etc 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 and this is what i've always been amazed by let me just give you an example for instance our current president now i could use any president in history so if if you're of another political persuasion, I, I, I could use your favorite candidate as well. It happens to them all. But, but I remember how after 9-11 and all the things that transpired and, and the World Trade Centers falling down, I remember they began to take polls after that. And, and our current president had like 80-90% approval ratings right after 9-11. And then, of course, you know, the war has drug on and and uh, the winds have shifted and changed and we see the price that many have paid with regards to securing our freedoms on, on foreign soil and there's the whole debate that's going on in our culture whether that's a good thing or not. But it's amazing to me how someone could be at the 90 percentile mark and now all of a sudden he's at the 35 percentile. And uh, it's interesting how just a few short years the crowd who thought you were all that in a bag of chips suddenly is saying, throw the rascal out. At one moment, everybody's saying, whatever you want, we'll vote for. And the next moment, they're crying out, impeach him. 
And, and I don't care whether you like Bush or don't like Bush. My point is not to make a case for our president politically. My case is simply this. It just reminds me how fickle the crowd can be. I mean, one minute they will hail you as the answer to every problem known to man. They will look at you and say, you are the greatest. You're the best. You have the, the solution to all our society's problems. And then the next minute, minute, they'll issue subpoenas in order to get you out of office. Now, it's interesting that you think opinion polls perhaps are just 20th or 21st century unique features of the political process. But I will tell you, it's not just a 21st century phenomena. It's a first century one as well. Because it happened to Jesus. On Palm Sunday, he comes riding into town. They hail him with praises that most people don't realize. We go through these passages where we read Hosanna to the son of David. Oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We don't realize that the very phrases they're uttering are phrases that were reserved for him who would be a king. So as he comes into Jerusalem... The crowds are crying out and we're talking about a very great crowd. We're talking how all the city was moved. They are beginning to declare this one we call Jesus to be king. You're the king. You're it. I mean, your, your approval ratings are out of the roof. I mean, you are incredible. We, we give you our cloaks. We, we give you palm branches. We give you everything. We shout your praises. And is it not interesting in one short week? how all of a sudden the opinion polls change and they shouted his death sentence and they curse him as a criminal. It's amazing to me how opinion polls change in less than a week. It's amazing to me how the same people who declared him to be a king could be the same crowd who less than seven days later completely changed their mind. And as I was reading these passages, it began to just turn in me again and make me stop and ask the question, who is this Jesus to me? It's the question here in verse 10 of that Matthew passage I read to you. Who is this? Because I believe much like we see in the first century, I believe at times we're quick to hail things that maybe we don't fully comprehend. And we're quick to affirm things we don't totally have a handle on. And I believe the crowd was thrilled and enthralled with who they thought Jesus was, but when they began to listen and hear and begin to really see, it, it, it somehow began to turn in them that maybe this isn't what they wanted to sign up for. And, and oftentimes, I think even in our own century, that there are false impressions. There are things that, that we initially have heard or perceive about Jesus that suddenly when we study and hear a little bit more, we're not so sure he or that is what we've signed up for. So I want to take just a moment this morning and really talk about who this Jesus really is. Because if you don't understand who he really is, then don't get caught shouting one thing this morning and then seven days from now find yourself on the opposite end of the spectrum. Now, I put on the screen overhead, I believe, the question, what's created this false impression? What's created all of these images that perhaps have been twisted in our mind, in our culture, in our psyche. Because how many of you know Jesus is not a liar? Uh, Jesus is not advertising something that all of a sudden he switches on. But uh, indeed, he's, he's one that communicates exactly who he is, what he's about, 
and how he wants to be uh, a king in each one of our lives. Let me just suggest to you just a couple quick things here that creates a false impression. Number one is misinformation, misinformation. There were things that were said about Jesus that were designed to mislead. It's interesting how the crowd hails him as king. He goes through this week and now suddenly he's a criminal. How can that be? Well, it's because there was certain misinformation that was released about him. In fact, most of that information came from the insecurity of religious leaders and their particular territory and power that they held. And so they began to release stories and they began to release things that weren't accurate. And uh, it created certain images or expectations that well-meaning followers began to generate, embellish, and expound upon, and they truly didn't understand or didn't have the full scoop as to who Jesus really was. Now, I want you to think about this. In our day and age, think about how Jesus is packaged. I want you to think about, in our day and age, how Jesus is presented. Because, in my opinion, Jesus is sort of seen as this benevolent, laid-back, soft-spoken, kind of... Hippie, because, you know, we all know he had long hair. Psychologist, who basically comes to us because he wants people to find themselves. He wants people to be happy. He wants people to be loving. He wants people to be kind. He wants people to be gentle. And, and, and Jesus is this guy, maybe he sits behind the desk and he listens to your problems. He's, he's, you know, his hotline's open 24 hours a day. And you can share with him your heart. And whatever's in your heart, good or bad, he always endorses you. He always tells you that you're okay. He's the person that never raises his voice. He never appears out of control. He would never, of course, bring an offense to anybody. He never would cause a political stir. In fact, if anything political would come along, he would always remain neutral in every issue as to not alienate himself from anybody. He would never, never offend folks, and especially anybody that might be a big giver or anybody that might be a powerful person in the community. He would never irritate them or alienate them because God knows they could help a lot in the ministry and what he was doing in the earth. And of course, whatever particular tradition you brought with you, he would certainly endorse that and he would find a way sort of to incorporate that into the ministry in order that you could find your your tradition or whatever presupposition you brought with you fulfilled in him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of what I see at times with regards to who even the religious culture begins to paint a picture of who Jesus is. Can I just share with you, and most of you know it if you just stop and think for just a minute. Jesus called people snakes. Yeah, he did. He called them a brood of vipers. That's what you call you snake. He called them hypocrites. He took on the rich and the powerful openly. He questioned their motives and what they did with their money. I don't know about you, but when he saw the house of God that week that he came back into Jerusalem and he saw the money changers in the temple doing their thing in order to take advantage of the people, he yelled, and you can read it any way you want, but I think he went sort of berserk at the temple. He grabbed a stick and he started whooping people at the temple as he turned over their tables. Turning over their tables, I tell you, isn't, isn't that, isn't that wooing? 
he offended in one sermon nearly 90% of his followers. You read it in John chapter 6. He offended 90% of his followers and he looked at the rest of them that hung around and said, are you going too? And the only reason they stayed was Peter said, Lord, we don't have anywhere else to go. Not exactly a ringing endorsement, is it, from the rest of your followers? I mean, he took on the religious traditions of his day that kept people from experiencing a true relationship with God. He declared, listen to this, if you can believe this, he came in that last week and he declared that he alone was the exclusive way to get to God. Can you believe that? Sometimes I think we need to have the real Jesus stand up. Some of you, some of you that are younger, you won't, you won't remember this. Some of you that are older, you'll remember this all too well. But there used to be a game show that was called To Tell the Truth. And they would have three people walk out on stage. And, and they would all uh, be, say the same name. They were somebody or some occupation. And then they would have to sit down. And then the panel that was there would begin to shoot questions at them. And the, the point of the game was they would try to figure out which one was the real person doing the real occupation that they were all trying to figure out. And, and, and the key to it was that two of them were liars and one of them was to tell the truth. And, and the panel was to figure out which one was telling the truth. And of course, if you could be deceptful enough, uh, deceiving enough, that, that uh, you would win X amount of dollars. In other words, you tried to lie good enough to win. But here, but I, I sometimes think that we need to have a to tell the truth panel with regards to the real Jesus. Because at the end of that show, they would say, would the real Jesus please stand up? And so we need to understand there is a lot of misinformation that has gone on about Jesus. And you need to understand that the Jesus that we worship and the Jesus we hail as king isn't exactly at all times what's being presented to us. Through, through mainstream culture. And, and I often listen as people get in the Christianity debate. I, I hear them try somehow to avoid some of the difficult things that Jesus said. I'll tell you, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If someone were to ask me, are you saying to me that you will go to hell if you don't know Jesus? The answer is yes. That's the answer. You say, I can't believe you're intolerant. I'm not intolerant because I didn't make the statement. Do you understand? I didn't make the rules up. I didn't create this thing. All I'm simply is reading what the man said. And so there's been misinformation. Secondly, there's been misunderstandings. Misunderstandings. Now, in the day that we're talking about here in the scripture that I read to you, there were concepts that people thought they understood but they really didn't totally get. You, you have to understand, as Jesus is coming in through the gate, they're hailing him as king. You are the king. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and they're, 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 they're praising him. And, and so the whole time, everybody in the crowd, now listen to me, everybody in the crowd's going, yeah, 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 king. Are you with me? King. But here's the problem. They didn't understand what king meant. They, even in that day when they sort of had a better understanding even than us in America as to what a king is and what he does, even they didn't have the full revelation of who a king was. They connected in the first century a king with political power. Now, in our century, we confuse it much the same way. Now, listen to me carefully. 
in the first century, they were ready for the Messiah to come. Come, Messiah, kick out Rome. Give me back my land so I can be rich. That's what they were saying. That's why they were, Hosanna, Hosanna, Rome's out of here. I get, I get what's mine back. He's a political king. He's going to, he's going to make it right. He's going to do everything just perfectly and I'm going to have what I want. And we say to ourselves, oh, those dumb poor peasants of the first century. How stupid are they? Couldn't they see it? And we just, we're just kind of these snobby people in the 21st century looking at those poor dumb people in the first century. Can I just share with you? We tend to do the very same thing. Because we want a Jesus who we can listen to his policies and we can begin to pick and choose his policies that we agree with, those that we disagree with. In fact, most of us, I won't, maybe not most of us, but most of the world tends to look at Jesus as somebody who they can sort of try out as one of the options in life. And if after four years of him having office in our life, if we don't really like it, we'll kick him out of office and we'll bring something else into our life. And so we just kind of vote in a new philosophy. Here's the thing you got to realize about a king. Jesus is a ruler. He is a king. You don't vote him in and you don't vote him out. It doesn't really matter whether you believe in him or not. He's still king. You don't, you don't suddenly make him a monarch. You don't suddenly one day say to yourself, well, I guess, I guess, oh yeah, I guess I'll let Jesus be king of my life. You know what? It's really not about what you choose. It's about him choosing. You don't choose him. He chooses you. This isn't about you just one day give him your life because I guess that's just what I'll do. I will grace God with who I am. I will give him my life. He's just, I will do this for him. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. That's the, that's the interesting thing. He's king whether we acknowledge him king or not. You can walk out of here and say just like they did in his era that he's crazy, but he's still king. He isn't moved by opinion polls and personal preferences. He is king whether you acknowledge it or not. But you need to remember that when he comes to your life and he calls you and calls you to his kingship, he does not come to you so you can negotiate the terms of the vote. He doesn't, you know, slap pork on, you know, well, you know, we'll, I'll give you this and this and this if you acknowledge me as king. He is king. Your confession of faith was not limited, as you'll recall, only to him being your savior. But Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord, everyone say Lord. And, and this is the part that I believe is my unique calling in the earth and in Charleston, South Carolina. That while Jesus is Savior, you just don't get Savior and consider Lord. You just don't say, take my sins, but then we'll think about rulership. I'm just not going to give you my junk, but I don't know if I want to do anything by way of obedience or responsiveness to you as a king. I don't know where we got that, but we didn't get it from here. You get him as Lord, you get him as King. That's how we confess them. When you open up your heart to Jesus, you say, you are king, you rule, you call the shots. I'm your subject. I'm the one that responds to you. That's why, listen to me now, that's why Christianity at times is a lot tougher and doesn't work in America like it works in other countries. You see, if you go to other countries and you see how Christianity works there, especially third world countries, the reason they see limbs grow, eyes open, the reason the dead are raised, the reason you hear those of those miracles is because they have nothing at stake. 
They eat from day to day. They're just trying to figure out how to get their next meal. They don't have much. So when it comes to yielding, they can yield, I think, a lot easier than we Americans. We Americans have a lot. I mean, we have our jobs, we have our positions, we have our pride, we have our 401ks, we have our stock portfolios. We have everything just nicely arranged and we want to have our sins forgiven and we say in theory he's king, but he's only king until he touches something important. And then at that particular moment we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Surely the king wouldn't touch this. Yes, the king would. He's king of it all. He's king of everything. We think the kingdom of God is somehow run by negotiated settlement or by popularity or politics. And because of that, we miss out on kingdom stuff, kingdom power, kingdom prosperity. We miss out on kingdom healings, kingdom supernatural healings and demonstrations. I'll never forget being just a few weeks ago at Bethany World Prayer Center and there were some third world national bishops and pastors that were there You heard me tell a couple stories with regards to what they were doing. They were starting churches. There was a guy, as you'll recall, who had to run. I believe it was from Rwanda, Rhodesia, Sudan. He had to run, literally, across two nations to get to a refugee camp. It took him over three months to run to this refugee camp. But as he's running, he started 53 churches. Is that not amazing? I mean, we're talking guys in China, in Libya, who would, who would be killed today if, if they knew what they were doing by way of starting churches, but they're doing that. And the power of God is moving and flowing. And one of the, one of the men began to tell a story of how an American pastor came to him and said, you know, we're really praying for you. We're praying for you in, in Central Africa because we know you're impoverished and there's poverty and it must be hard and it must be difficult. So we're really praying for you because of the great abject poverty you're having to work through. And that pastor looked at the American pastor and said, well, you know, we pray for you too. We pray for you because of your wealth and your riches. We pray for you because of all the things that cloud your eyes to the kingdom and to the gospel. We pray for you too, because we see the gospel spreading in much greater ways here in this third world nation than you can in America, and never a truer word was spoken. Who is Jesus? Come on, let's think about this. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just this benevolent psychological guru? Is he just a life coach? Is he just your motivational speaker? Is he just the guy that you can use in order to figure out that if you release this much into him, he'll give you this much back to you? Who is Jesus? Is he just a convenient teacher? Just a counselor, an enabler? Maybe a provider to facilitate just your needs and desires? I mean, where would you have been in the crowd? Where would you have been located hailing him as king? And then the end of the week comes and you listen to all that he says and all that he is. Where would you have been in that crowd? Now, I started to ask myself that question. How do I know if he's really king in my life? How do I know if if my confession is matching up with my life and how I act? Now, listen to me. I understand we're all human beings. And I understand ain't nobody perfect in this building. I understand that. But I also understand that my aspiration is day by day, moment by moment, I really do want to be more and more like my Lord. I want to be like my King. I want His kingship demonstrated in my life. And so while I may not always measure up at every waking moment, I can tell you right now my motive is to pursue Him with all my heart and to make sure that is 
happening in my life. And, and there are just a couple of things I think I could throw out to you that you can begin to evaluate yourself and ask yourself the question, how do I know if he's really king in my life? Because during that Passion Week, that question was asked to everybody. It was asked to the crowd. It was asked to his disciples. How many of you know that week Judas got asked a question? Who really is Jesus in your life? How many of you know that week Peter got asked a question? Who really is Jesus in your life? Is Jesus just good to hang around until somebody offers you more money? Is Jesus good enough to hang around until finally there's a little pressure on your life and you're able to kind of fall back into your old cussing ways and not really associate yourself with them? I mean, who is Jesus? I'm going to be honest with you. There weren't many that did all that well the first time around. Peter denied. Judas betrayed. Others scattered. I want you to write this down. Write this down. Put it in your Bible somewhere. But it's important that you get this. You cannot be faithful and popular perpetually. This is just truth in advertising. If legacy does anything right or wrong, we just give you truth in advertising. You're not going to walk away from this church and somehow we're not going to tell you the whole scoop. We're going to let you know the whole scoop. We're going to tell you that God heals, He blesses, He prospers. We're going to tell you that the Lord does supernatural stuff. He wants you to be in destiny. He has a great plan for your life. That there is joy, there is peace, there's there's an incredible future for you. We will preach destiny and shout with the best of them. But we're also going to tell you that Jesus comes along and He asks for our life, all of it. He asks for sacrifice. He asks for giving ourselves to things that are beyond ourselves. He asks us to break out of our selfishness and our self-centeredness. And so we just need to understand that, that you cannot be perpetually faithful and popular. There will come a day that those two things will eventually clash with each other. I understand there are seasons of favor. Praise God for favor. Aren't you glad for seasons of favor? Let me tell you, when seasons of favor come, I ride that way for as long as it'll last. When there's a season of peace that comes, I say, let me ride this, Lord. Let it stay for as long as it will last. Because this much I've learned after serving the Lord several decades now. I've learned this. I've learned that you can walk in truth. You can speak the truth. You can live the truth, but not everybody's happy with the truth. We need to get back to that because we live in a culture that's kind of given us the opinion that, you know, if, if, if people like us, then they'll like Jesus. Well, truth of the matter is they didn't always like him. And so I want to give you just a few marks here, indicators, I think, of his kingship that will help you do a little self-evaluation. Number one, you are like your king. How do you know if he's king in your life is because you're like him. Remember what it says, the scripture says he is. He is king of kings. Is that not right? King of kings. So you're going to be a little bit like him. A Christian, which was an early term of derision, most people don't know that. When the, when the, when the word Christian came up, when it was first said, believe me, it, was, it wasn't a badge you wore with I'm a Christian. Hallelujah. But Christian was like calling you a jerk. Ding dong. Or whatever other epithet that is appropriate in the house of God, you can say. That's what it was. Christian. It actually means little Christ. And so they're labeled with this, this word Christian, little Christ. 
And, and, and you can begin to see how we begin to image that which we say is ruling in our life. We begin to think like the king. We begin to talk like the king. We begin to behave like the king. We begin to value what the king values. We begin to see what the king sees. Can I just turn over to Matthew chapter 10? There are a few verses I'm going to read out of Matthew 10. I realize it's Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, usually in the church calendar, you got Palm Sunday and we all join the crowd cheering the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David. And so we're all Hosannaing the king. And then we get to Resurrection Sunday and we're all praising God because the tomb's empty. And so we've got two Sundays where normally we're just all going, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. But I need to just call a time out. And let's just stop in the middle of this thing and let's make sure we got a hold of what everything's all about. Because we're going we're gonna to praise God on Resurrection Sunday, no doubt about that. But I, wanna, I want you to understand what resurrection means before we get there. Matthew 10, 25 that first phrase or two, it says, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. So there's going to be a, a, an aspect that you're going to be like the king you say you serve. I, did, I think we ought to ask ourselves these questions, uh, particularly in the culture we live in here in America. Let's start asking ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? I, you say, well, I know that. I have a little wristband well get it off your wrist and get it in your brain what would jesus do what would jesus do really really jesus let me just let me i'm just gonna is it okay if i just share with you just observations no judgments just observations i'm just gonna observe all right like 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 the singer the popular singer who says they're a christian but they can sing about people sleeping around and running around on each other, getting drunk or getting stoned. What would Jesus do? Do we, do we really think that? Really? Do, do, do we really think, let's say, the actor that says they're a Christian, and they're in the movie where they have to do the love scene, excuse me, but they're in the bed with someone who's not their spouse, and I don't know if they're got clothes on underneath there or not. But I'm here to tell you, don't leave much to the imagination. But they love the Lord. He's king of their life. Really? Really? Now, I know what people say when they start hearing these kinds of things come up. They say, oh, oh, you're just, you're a prude and we've got to penetrate the culture and we've got to be light in dark places. Well, I agree, but maybe light in dark places means I ain't doing a bedroom scene with someone who's not my wife. And furthermore, there ain't going to be no camera in my bedroom. Maybe, maybe that would be light, light. I, I mean, really, is that how we win people to the Lord? We just be like them, drink like them, run around like them. I mean, that's how we do it. Well, I'm trying to identify with the group I'm trying to reach. I just want you to know I'm out there doing the work of the gospel. I figure I can identify better with them if I get blasted with them. I just feel that way. Really? Really? Is, is that what you really think? 
What would a Christian do? What would a Christian see? How would a Christian be? I'm not, are, I mean, I'm not saying be a prude. I'm not saying there aren't things you couldn't sing that, that aren't innocuous and, and, and can't be, can't be wholesome or whatever the case. But I'm just here to say, if he's king, is that how he rules? Really? Think about that for just a minute. You are like your king. You are like your king. Oftentimes, you just have to ask this question. How would I feel if Jesus were sitting next to me right now? Ah, he is. I'm sorry, I just messed you up. For the rest of your life. You're like your king. Number two. How do I know if he's king? Other people begin to respond to you like they do the king. Now I want to read that 25th verse a little bit further here. It says, if they call the master of the house Beelzebub which basically is you devil. How much more will they call those of his household? Now, the price, listen to me, the price of being of being linked to Jesus, the price of fidelity to the teaching of Jesus is this. Listen to me now. People will cheer you one day and then they'll want to crucify you the next day. You know, the dominant myth of today's church is this, that our success is defined by how popular we are. That's a myth. But that's how we, we rate ourselves. That's how we rate church. Must be a good church. It's big. Must be a good church. Got stuff that's happening. Must be a good church. It's popular. And suddenly we, we define the work of Jesus and whether or not it's a valid work of the Lord, it, it, somehow it's dependent upon public favor. And so what happens is we crave popularity. We crave everybody liking us. We want people to like us. If you like us, then you'll like Jesus. And, and we just want you, we want to be liked. And, and if we're liked by everybody, therefore we're successful. Can we just for once and for all lay that myth to rest? That is not what it's about. It's not about being popular. It's about being faithful. It's not about getting people to like you. It's about getting people free. It's not seeing how we can identify and being cool. It's about presenting the cross and getting them loose from their bondage. That's how you define success. And lo and behold, every now and then, I think this is where I am, every now and then, someone just ought to look at you and say, you're crazy. Just once a year even, just commit right now. Once a year, you need to have a moment where somebody looks at you and says, you're just crazy. Praise God. Yes, he's king. Somebody thinks I'm nuts. It says here, they called him Beelzebub. Do you realize Jesus healed a man and there were people that ran up to him and said that Jesus had a demon? Think about that for just a minute. They, they said he had a demon. There was another occasion where he was teaching that they declared him to be a deceiver. Now, this is the son of God. Think about this. This is the benevolent guru that everybody wants to follow. Think about that. He was called Beelzebub. He had a demon. He was a deceiver. There was a time they tried to run him off a cliff. He just got his ministry started there at Nazareth, just read out of the book of Isaiah. And he said, today it's fulfilled in me. All right, see you later, guys. And he's walking outside, and they're ready to push him off the cliff. There was another occasion that they'd already gotten the noose ready, getting ready to hang him. Let's understand there's going to be moments that you aren't going to be all that in a bag of chips. Everybody isn't going to like you. There are people that are going to think you have lost your ever-loving mind. And we've got to break out of the mentality that says, well, I must have done something wrong. No, you didn't. You did everything right. 
Are you with me? You can walk in truth. You can, you can have fidelity to the gospel. You can be living circumscribed. And I'm here to tell you in the world we're living in, you're going to look more and more odd as the days and years go on. Just odd as can be. Other people will respond to you like they did the Lord. Number three, you're not afraid of the world. Matthew 10, 28, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What he says here is, is that you will happily trade the perils of this life for the rewards of the king's kingdom. So you're not afraid of the world. It's what Paul said when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Years ago, Trace will remember, I had a message I preached years ago that was entitled, You Don't Have to Survive. And, and what I basically said in that message was this, that, that for me, if I live, I'm going to live all out for Jesus. Can you imagine, for just a moment, Paul, who looked at Nero, the Roman Caesar of that particular era, and, Roman, and, and, and Nero could think of the most despicable ways to torture Christians. And, and, and beheading and guillotines and lighting them on fire and putting them in the Colosseum with lions and wild animals. And I, I, I could tell you stories that would probably turn your stomach. But, but the point being is, is that he looks at Nero and he says to Nero, for me to live is Christ. So he says, it really doesn't matter what you do with me. If you send me to jail, I'll win the jailer to the Lord. If, 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 you, if you send me into the streets, I'm going to keep sharing the love of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus with people. To me, to live is Christ. Now, if you decide to kill me, then that's gain. Because I'm going home anyway. So, it doesn't matter. Let me live, kill me, praise God, I'm okay. Isn't that good news? I'm okay. I mean, what are you going to do? I'm not afraid of the world. Because even, listen to what the Lord says. He says in John 12, 24, He says, even if you die, He says, if a grain of wheat goes into the ground and it dies... It dies alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And the more Christians they killed, the greater the church grew. Now, I'm not suggesting everybody run out of here and go be a martyr. It's like I used to say, if you, if you have the call of martyrdom, that's okay. But realize God will use you once. I mean, so keep that in mind. So I'm not asking you to go run out and find a way to martyr yourself. But I am saying this. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about the world. Don't be afraid of it. God's called you for greater and larger purposes. Number four, you're loyal to the king. Loyal to the king. Matthew 10, 32, it says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. You know, lately, you know, I've just been seeing and reading and watching people who are declaring Christ as their Savior in... Uh, in different reality shows and on different TV shows. And I always find it interesting that when they're on these reality shows, you never hear them talk or speak much about the Lord. I'm always fascinated at how they'll go into games like survival and they'll manipulate just like everyone else manipulates. Or they'll sing and they'll sing the same old songs that everyone else sings. I mean, I mean there's no sense of... I, I'm sorry, I just... When, when does loyalty come into the equation? When is he king? Is he only king on Sundays? Or is he king every day? Is he only king when I'm not trying to get to where I need to go and so I've got to play the game and work the system and sort of, you know, maneuver my way through? You, God's given me wisdom to manipulate my way through this. I, I know how it works. No, he isn't. He's not at all. 
I mean, God's the one, remember, that throws you in jail and then he pops you out like Joseph. That's how God works. You're loyal to the king. And then finally, number five, you're committed to the will of the king. It says here in verse 34, don't think that I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Yet Jesus said that. It's in red. Is it in red in your Bible? It's in red in my Bible. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus loves families. He loves marriages. He's committed to working through those most intimate relationships we have with regards to the family. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Ladies, your husband is not the king. And husbands, your wives are not the queen. Let me tell you, Charleston, South Carolina, I love it and I'm here, but it's got a spirit on it that we venerate our ancestors and we worship our families and it's idolatry. Now, I understand, honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long. I understand that and I practice that. But honoring is not, is not the same as yielding the precepts of the king in your life. I'm just telling you, I honor my folks. But if my folks were to tell me you can't do this or go to church and I grew up and they looked at me and say, we aren't going to get you up and go to church and we aren't going to do this. And I set my own alarm clock and I got up and I went to church. Hear me now. I'm just I'm talking to men. I'm talking to women right now. If Tracy and she would never do this, if she were to look at me and say, I don't want to be in the ministry, don't want anything to do with it. I don't want you serving God. I don't want you to do the will of God. I'd say, honey, I love you and I'll stay married to you and we'll figure out how to work this out. But you just stay on at home. I'm going to church. And if I were to suddenly say, Trace, I'm packing it in. I'm not serving God anymore. I'm sick and tired of everything that's happening. I'm going to go do something else. Her job isn't just to dutifully follow me in sin. Her job is to say, honey, I love you. I'm going to stick with you and do my best to pray for you and win you back to the Lord. But on Sunday, you'll find me in the house of God. Yeah, it is. That's true. Because I'm telling you, in the South, I've heard from women say, well, I don't know that I can go to church because I don't know what my husband might think. Well, your husband ain't the king. I know we don't say it in the South. And I'll have people run up and say, yeah, baby, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. He's the king. That's what he said. Jesus forces people to make decisions that can even separate the closest of relationships. Jesus will actually get into your business. He's going to be in your grill. He's the king. He can do that. You gave him permission when you said, yes, be king of my life. He's going to be in your stuff. And I, he will mess with you in your stuff. And he'll look at you and he'll say, you know what? I'm going to change your friends. I'm going to change your associations and your relationships. And you know what? You're going to say you're the king. Because that's what you have right to do in my life. I'm here to tell you, when I was born again, I lost every friend that I had. But he gave me new friends. When I was called to the ministry, I lost friends. But he gave me new friends. When I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, I lost friends. But he gave me new friends. 
When I had to leave a denomination because they were kicking me out because I couldn't speak in tongues, I left my friends that I went to school with and all my networking and all my contacts, but he gave me new friends and new networks. I just found out through the years that you follow the king, he'll give you relationships. You stay true to the king, he'll give you anything and everything far better than you ever, ever had. You need to keep your eyes on the king. Amen. I hate it. I hate, I hate it when relationships are broken. I hate it, but I'm here to serve the king. Amen. Now, the question is, who would want this king? Pastor, you didn't do a very good job presenting the gospel this morning because I'm here to tell you who, who in the world would want that? Listen to me. Do you understand? Do you understand why we trim things? And, and there are a lot of people that will only preach the happy verses. Oh, there's a lot of happy verses in here. And, and I preach them too. But there are some that only preach the happy verses. And listen to me, you know why? It's because if we tell people the other stuff, who would want that? Who would really want that? Can I just answer the question? Nobody. What I just taught you and preached to you this morning, I'll just, I'll confess to you right now. The question is, who would want that? The answer is nobody unless the Holy Spirit draws you. I finally, I finally, I think I finally got a hold of this. I, you know, for years I'd watch people, I'd watch them make decisions and do all the things, they pray the prayer, and, and then they'd struggle, 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 and I finally understood why. It's because there's a moment that the Holy Spirit begins to draw, and He begins to woo, and He begins to deal with you on a level of not just He's the benevolent guru, and He's the life coach, and He'll make just life better, happy, He'll just give you money and bucks and meet your need. But there comes a moment the Spirit draws people. And as He draws them, He says, no, I'll be king. I'll I'll draw you and I'll be king. And not only will I draw you, but now I will transform you to make even this stuff in your natural mind right now that seems so outlandish to become that which is your joy. That's why the world looks at some of us and says, how, do you, how can you live like I mean, you're just crazy. No, no, I'm just saved. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you stay away and not get involved and, and, and seem to put it all together? I don't, I, I, how can you do that? Yeah, I don't get, how do you do it? It's because God transformed me. I'm just not attaching Jesus to my life. I am giving him my life. I'm not making him a feature of my life. He becomes my life. I'm not coming to a program at a local church. I'm signing up for a life that takes me to his kingdom. Are you hearing me? That's. The difference. Who is Jesus to you? I'll end with this. When Handel wrote his famous oratorio, what was it called? The Messiah. And he had written it and he was performing it. And as he was performing it, there at an opera house, 
in London, the king came that particular performance. And as the king walked into the opera house, whenever the king entered into a room, everybody stood to their feet. It's the same practice of honor we do with a president. When a president comes into a room, everybody stands on their feet, and they stand on their feet in honor of the king. And uh, the king came in, everybody stood. And you need to understand that, that the king is of such position that, that he never stands for anyone because there is no one greater than the king. So he sat down and the crowd sat down and Handel began, began to perform the famous Messiah. And uh, as they got to the song that so many of us know, the Hallelujah Chorus, and as he began to play and the orchestra began to play and those notes which were anointed in such an incredible fashion began to be put out there and the words and lyrics came to it and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. King of kings forever and ever. You can hear it right now. Most of you can hear the tune right now in your mind. About halfway through, the king stood up in his box. And everybody watched because the king stood for no one. And all of a sudden, he took his crown off his head. And he laid it down on the edge. And it symbolized that, that there was a king yet greater than the earthly monarch, the king of England. Jesus was the king. And, and I want to ask you this morning, what, what's your crown? What, what is it that you need to this morning stand and, and take the crown off and say, Lord, I've given you part, I've, I've, I've given you a little bit, but here, here's everything. Here's the, here's the whole deal. Here's, here's the rulership of my life. Here's the reigning of my life. The reason life doesn't work for so many people is we're still in charge of so much of it. You've got to let Jesus be king. And my question is, where would you have been in the crowd? Would you have been one week later just hollering crucify him? It's better to be popular than it is to be right. I'm here to tell you it is better to be right than it is to be popular. It's better to keep hailing him as king than it is to just go with the winds of change that shift so much. This morning, who is Jesus to you? See, this is what it's all about. This isn't religious exercise. This is, this is reality. This is eternity. This is what it's all about. This, is, this isn't fun. This isn't just something to make us feel good or give a solace. This is about life and what life is all about. And one day when this life ends, it's about eternal life and his kingship forever and ever. Who is Jesus to you? Would you stand with me, please? Hey, Clay, could I get a couple of your musicians to come and would you help me? And, and in just a minute, I want you to play that song, Open the Blind Eyes. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving around, just for a moment, just for a moment. Give me just a few moments. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would come and you would do the business that is solely and completely yours, that you would begin to draw people to yourself. Lord, we can be witty and funny and, and there are times that's appropriate and in order. But Lord, we confess to you right now that this moment is yours exclusively. Where you begin to talk to people in their hearts in ways that I could never speak. That you begin to individually go up and down aisles and seats and you begin to touch folks and shine lights and put things 
and say, am I really king over this room? Am I really king over this area? Do I really rule? Do, am, I, am I Lord, really? And Lord, you're so kind and you're patient, slow to wrath and slow to anger. And yet truth of the matter is, Lord, that you are serious. You are, you are just serious as can be with regards to our relationship with you and how we relate to you. We're glad that you're a friend. We're glad that you're a companion that sticks close to us. But Lord, this morning, Lord, I proclaim you as king. You are king. You're just not my buddy. You're my king. You're, you're, just, you're just not my compadre. You're my king. You're not just a feature of my life. You are my life. You're not just this aspect on Sunday and the rest of the week I, I've got control of what's going on in my life. No, you're in charge of it all. Sunday through Saturday, you've got it all. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would come and that you would magnify your kingly nature in this room. That you would become the King of Kings and that you would become the Lord of Lords. And that you could ask the question to us, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And Lord, I ask you right now, if there are those who have walked with you only as a friend, only as a buddy, that this day would be the day they say, I'm cutting loose the lifeline and I'm plugging it into my King. If there are those that have never said yes to you, that today would be the day your spirit would woo and draw them. That there would be something going on right now, that heartbeat inside of them right now, Lord. We don't apologize. You are real and you are here and you are wooing people right now to your kingship. We're trying to figure out how to massage a situation where we need to let it go and let the king rule in that situation. Begin to do that, Lord, right now. Do that right now. I want us to sing just for a moment. You know the song. And open the blind eyes. Now this is the invitation I'm giving right now. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this morning. I, I, not that I won't in, in, in future days. But for whatever reason, I just feel convicted this morning as we preached his kingship we're not voting on him this morning he doesn't want your vote he wants your life he doesn't want your consideration he wants everything all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength he's not saying this morning i try me out he's saying no give it all up give it all up and jump all in see what i can do right now when i'm king you say, wow, this isn't normal church. No, and it's time we broke normal and walked into supernatural. I'm believing right now for transformation. Some of you maybe have walked aisles before. You've made decisions and commitments before. We affirm that and we're glad for it. But the invitation this morning is come and let Him be King. He's the King. If you're ready to say yes to the King, if He's calling you, don't push Him away. He's wooing you right now. If He's wooing you, it means that He's prepared to transform you. 
right now. I want you to do what the King of England did when he stood and took off his crown. I want you right now to bring your life and come to the altars here at the front of the church and say, Lord, if the King of England can stand in an opera house, this, this King of my life can come and stand and present my crown and present my life and my agenda and my job and my future. I can present everything there is about me and I can yield to the King. This morning can be my Y2K. Yield to the King. If that's you, I don't want you. Don't get your brain involved in it right now. Say yes to the King. I want you to come and join me right now. And we're going to pray. Yes to the King. Yes to the King. I want Him to be King. 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 I want Him to be the King. The King. Today. Today the King. Come on, is God drawing you? He's Get ready. If He's drawn you, He wants to transform you. The King. I want everyone to say, the King. Say it, the King. He is the King. Say it, He is the King. The King of my life. I declare... You to be king. Jesus is king. I'm going to pray right now. Join with me. I want everyone right now just to join with me. I know I'm leading you, but right now I'm going to lead you in a pray, a prayer for the king. Everyone say in the name of Jesus. Unlock my deaf ears. Unveil my blind eyes. Help me, Lord, to see and to hear your kingship in my life. I confess now of all waywardness, of all known rebellion, of the areas that I've lifted my hand and put you off. I am not in charge. You are in charge. I am not the king. You are the king of my life. I confess now. I've resisted that. And it's been sin to me. I confess it and ask forgiveness. Cleanse me of all of that now. Give me a new day and a new declaration that you are Lord. You were raised from the dead. You are king. No one else qualified, but you alone, Jesus, to be king of my life. I open my heart to your wooing and receive you gladly and your kingship and your authority. I honor you now. I obey you now. I'm all out for you good times and bad when I abound and when I don't abound no matter what I bless the king you're that in my life I'm with you all the way when I'm popular and when I'm not when people cheer me and when they jeer me when they lift me up
or when they nail me to a cross, I'm with you. I count it a privilege to lose my life and to gain yours. I count it a privilege to call you king and for you to call me child. Let it be settled now in my heart and life. It is done. My mind is transformed. My heart is transforming. I am a new creature. I'm changing right now. Old ways, old thoughts, old patterns are falling off me. And new things with the King are being established. It will be different starting this afternoon and all through this week. There will be a distinguishable difference in my life because I don't own it anymore. But Jesus owns me. I give praise to the King. Hosanna to the King. Hosanna to the King. Come on now. Hosanna to the King. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everybody, man, he's king. Say king. Not, you know, I don't even like president anymore. Not, I mean, I understand. But he's not the president because it makes it sound like I voted him in there. I didn't vote him in. He, by his incredible compassion and mercy, he, you didn't choose him. He chose you. I mean, I love you all. And he loves me. But I ain't that much to him. You're not that much. This is the incredible truth is that while you ain't much, He called you this morning. He, he said, come to me this morning. Isn't that incredible? And He says, let me be king. Everybody look at me right now and do this. Everybody in this congregation, I want you just to envision this. Take the crown off your head. And just let it go. Just let it go. Hallelujah. Lord, we are not the king. You are the king. And we acknowledge that this morning. Lord, you see these people in great sincerity and genuineness. They came to an altar and said, Jesus, be king. Lord, you have their full attention to exercise your kingly rule in their life. Help them, I pray. Holy Spirit, help them. Help them in this endeavor. Help them to walk this out. Help them to not let it be a decision this morning, but help them today to let this be the turning point in their life. Help them, I pray. Lord, I can't be with them 24-7, but You can be. Help them, I pray. And let us demonstrate the King everywhere we go. And I thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Give the Lord another hand clap. You need to testify and, and let someone know what's going on in your heart and life. Nail it down. Overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. Hug each other's necks. Shake each other's hands. Encourage one another. Live for the King. Live all out for the King. Amen. You're released. God bless you.
We're going to see on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to talk about the life of God. And it'll be a great day. You won't want to miss it. God bless you. You're released.